Hey everyone, it's Henry. Just to give a little quick update. So last episode, we reached out to you guys to uh, request Mattel put some of their millions and millions of dollars towards the black causes that they claim to support within some of their tweets. And um, just for the sake of transparency, uh, since then, they have posted that they are going to be donating $250,000 to the NAACP youth program and will be uh, committing the proceeds of future Barbie sales to fund educational programs that focus on supporting black girls. So that's good. Um, truth be told, when it comes to large donation efforts like this, when it comes to large corporate entities like Mattel, some of it can be a little bit muddled in the idea of them getting tax breaks because of such charitable donations. And that is something to be rightfully skeptical about and something to scrutinize. But from the bottom of my heart, if you helped us sending emails to the Mattel Children's Foundation and reaching out and calling out Barbie for the sort of empty statement that they first let out, thank you for that. But the work is far from over. All around the country, there are still plenty of police officers who are over-exhuming their authority, and there are still just a countless number of black lives who are cut short and irrevocably harmed from no fault of their own. So with that said, uh, we're still going to be posting uh, in the description. We do encourage you guys to visit Black Lives Matters with an S uh, dot card, C-A-R-R-D dot co which will have a lot of great resources for you to reach out for. And in addition to that, um, I'm going to talk about this in the announcements, but I will be talking about this a little bit more near the end of the episode, but I'm going to be participating in a special charity live stream that will be going towards the National Bail Fund and will be giving a lot of other resources. So if you're interested in learning more about that and hearing my voice doing things, trying to help out, uh, Feel free to stick around for that. But on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Pink Isle. My name is Henry Kathman. And joining me is it's Emma Corey. robot version of Emma Corey coming to you on the sound waves. <laughs> well, it's not going to come out like that for the listener. But uh, yes, listener, due to circumstances. Yeah, there's like uh, a, some kind of a, a, a situation going on. A situation, on yeah. Yeah. But due to that, we're... Uh, we're recording our first episode remotely. In case you couldn't tell with our last episodes... Uh, pretty much all of our episodes consist of us recording in the same room. But now, we're using the interwebs, baby! Yes, isn't technology spectacular? It truly is. But today, we're going to be swimming back through the ocean and partaking in another... It's another goddamn mermaid movie. We can't escape. Oh, no we cannot. 
but it is 2014's Barbie the Pearl Princess. It's strange. We've had only about, like, three mermaid movies. Like, you had Mermaidia, and you had the two Mermaid Tale movies. But there's more to come after this one, so... Okay, yes, there are more to come after this one, but compared to... The mermaid movies have such a distinct feel to them, even though fairy movies are a lot more common in this franchise, but... Emma, I sense more exacerbation with the mermaid movies. I mean, from I you. love I love mermaid stuff, you know? Like, it's just I guess the past mermaid movies, especially after Mermaid Tale, which is kind of eh I, mm. I'm not really sure what to expect from this one. But I mean That's fair. Well, at least with this movie, from basic descriptions that I've gleaned, uh the Barbie protagonist in this movie starts off as a mermaid. So she, we aren't dealing with any transformation sequences. We aren't dealing with... Henry, Henry, it's a Barbie movie. If there is not some kind of transformation sequence, then like, I don't, I don't believe it. I don't think it'll be real. Fair enough. Fair enough. So at least we won't be dealing with uh, this pearl princess transforming into a human, I can assume. Maybe I'm wrong, hmm. uh, but this is going to be having... You gotta get in uh, those Little Mermaid bucks, you know? You gotta capitalize. That's true, that's true. But we're going to be having a creative mermaid, Luna, which who's going to have the power to uh Does she want to uh, put the world into eternal darkness, or I mean eternal night? No, no, that's the protagonist. Oh. Lumina is the name of our Barbie hero. I'm sorry. I was t- I was making a My Little Pony joke. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I Yeah. There you go. I got to bring uh, it up for for all the oh brownies God. out oh there. Oh God. Emma, am I just I'm gleaming through the IMDb page and already there's a character named Madam Ruckus. Can you guess which lady is voicing oh, her? Oh, Kathleen Barr. No. <laughs> Why? I Why? feel so bad. I feel so bad. How I many times like... can one woman play the same character in these movies? Like, she's next to, like, Barbie herself. Like, Kathleen Barr, evil magic lady, is, like, the most consistent character to always be in these movies. <laughs> You're not wrong! Oh, but uh, returning as well, uh, joining here, we have uh, Zeke Norton, who directed our favorite movie, uh, Barbie Princess Charm School. So we're going to deal with that more. But interestingly enough, we uh, we have returning as writers... Uh, Sydney Clark and Steve uh, Grant. Uh, star, sorry. Sydney Clark and Steve Granite, who, if you remember, uh, they. He's did the Princess superior the brother star. to uh, Steve Marble. Ha! <laughs> ha! That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but this is their last movie. Like, they did do Barbie and Her Sisters in a Pony's Tale, and they did. Uh, Barbie Princess and the Pop Star, but with this one, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, just start off the bat. I don't I don't know how good this one is gonna be. 
Like I don't know. I I'd guess... like to be surprised though. Maybe it'll be good. I do too. Like, listener, we don't go into these movies trying to be like super cynical about them, but uh, this scene does not contain a, a Barbie ding sin. Oh, this scene does not contain a Barbie-themed lap dance. Ding. This yeah. title sequence is too long. Ding. Uh, how dare they show off the people who made this piece of art. In God. this shot, Barbie is swimming to the right, but in the next shot, she is somehow further to the right, and they never explained how she moved from one place to the other. Continuity mm. error much. <laughs> God, it's like these creators didn't even care. Yeah. Like, these SJW directors, all they care about is shoving their agendas down our throat. Like, uh girls can do anything uh what about how men are naturally physically more likely to be mermaids um <laughs> anywho i bet they uh, never even played the video game i you know just these fake barbie fans <laughs> but not us we're the real barbie fans hashtag release the bibble cut how about hashtag please don't unleash that on the world <laughs> Listen, if we can get a butthole cut from cats, we can get a bibble cut. Oh god. Anywho, uh I wonder if there's yeah. any like any like voice recording bloopers from these movies that had swears in them. I feel like there is somewhere out oh, there. Oh man, I would pay good money to hear Kelly Sheridan drop an F bomb. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just it'd be nice, it'd be nice. Anyway, are you ready to journey into this magical mermaid kingdom, Emma? Just as much as I was ready to visit the last two magical mermaid kingdoms, hopefully this one won't have a Sephora. <laughs> <laughs> well, only one way to find out as we journey with Barbie, the Pearl Princess. How does a mermaid get ready for a party? She transforms into a princess. A mermaid princess. From the all-new DVD, Barbie the Pearl Princess. It's a mermaid party. It's a mermaid party. Anything is possible for a mermaid princess. Dolls and doll sets, each sold separately. Barbie the Pearl Princess, you can own it on Blu-ray and DVD March 11th. Welcome back, intrepid viewers. I hope you had a lovely time going on this undersea journey with us. Today, uh, we saw a great many things in this undersea Barbie adventure. Poisoning plots, bunch of pearls, presumably a multitude of clam deaths. <laughs> um, Freddie Mercury was there. Yeah, Freddie Mercury is there. And trust me, he was not making any supersonic man out of me, I'm telling you that. <laughs> oh, um, boy. <laughs> so, this was a interesting one, listener. Um, yeah, it was kind of the, one of those ones that kind of didn't really know what it was trying to be. Because there are certain elements of it that like didn't really fall together. And also, the Barbie protagonist in this one didn't really have much of an arc except being like I want to get out of the house and now I'm in the government 
Yay. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty accurate descriptor of. Uh, yeah, what, what, what would was. you say is the moral lesson of this movie, Henry? Well, if I'm going off of what the DVD said, it's you should try to leave places better off than when you left them, which I mean. Which means if you go to a new city, the first thing you should do is uncover some royal conspiracy <laughs> to where you were actually involved and, uh, that's right. you know, you put should people in jail. Yes, you should always involve yourselves into the culture and the lifestyles of the people you encounter. You got to be able to just like really insert yourself in there, regardless of the context. Because then it'll be it'll somehow turn out some way by blood you were actually involved the whole time. Yeah, and you didn't know that works out. But (laughs) if I am going to actually be honest, like. If I had to name a theme to this story, I guess it would be basic, like, I don't know, the basic be yourself, embrace your individuality, like, I don't know, don't judge books by their cover. It's... Yeah, it's just, uh, this movie just kind of felt kind of confused to me. It felt very confused and very empty. Like, as you said, the protagonist doesn't have much of an arc. There isn't much of a main idea as to what they're trying to accomplish from a storytelling level. And there's very, very little, like, there's very little that actually ends up happening as a result of this. Yeah, or like, I mean, at least it feels like the protagonist there's like the protagonist doesn't really have a lot of influence on like the main plot so much she just she's just kind of along for the ride i mean she like makes the decision decision. yeah well she makes the decision to like go to the place in the first place but it's on she doesn't really know what the situation is the whole time so it's like she there's it's been a very long time since i've seen a barbie movie where our barbie insert was as passive as the one in this one i don't know yeah it's kind of a shame because there's like some like cool elements to this movie i think like i really like this more than any of the other like barbie mermaid movies like had a lot a lot better like aesthetic thing going for it It like it had these really like uh blues and purples and like Unlike the other Barbie movies, this one actually takes place entirely underwater. Mm-hmm. There's and no the, weird human type thing. I don't know. Yeah, this... and the underwater environments are actually pretty pretty nice in this one. You can see they had like come a long way. Yes, I will say Rainmaker has definitely excelled in terms of their animation capabilities. Like you, when you look around in the water, you can see stuff like the particulates within the water swirling around in the background like the lighting is like taking the water refraction into account while they're uh going through the action just a lot of little background details that you don't usually see in budget animation like this but overall it's still it's a testament to the craft here but and i mean there is one other thing like you like some of the characters are kind of fun like yeah like the, right the villain gate, uh, oh, yeah so. the villain character is pretty fun in this one and i like he his is. like uh i like his, his son his 
his uh, mop head of a son. And also, oh, like, well, yeah. the aunt character is actually kind of interesting, but... Yeah. And it's kind of almost like, man, maybe this movie should have been about her, but I guess she's, like, not young, pretty, and blonde, so, mm-hmm, you know, whatevs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we... I want to, right out the gate, I want to apologize to Kathleen Barr, because it turns out, like... Uh, Madame Ruckus is not the villain. Yeah, no evil magic lady in this one. Madame Ruckus is a very scary octopus woman, though. She is so. a very scary octopus woman. With Who gives me face. some bad touch vibes, but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and... Uh, is that your octopus bias showing, though? Do I have an octopus bias? I didn't know. I don't know. Maybe... Is there something about tentacles that would give you a bad touch vibe? Uh, oh, man. D- d- these are places we should not go. No, I, 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 I normally, don't know what you're talking about. I normally I appreciate, I appreciate a good octopus, you know? I like an octopus, I like a squid. But I think they're pretty, uh, 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 helpful cephalopods, you know? That's, yeah. But I don't like octopuses that, that have faces on them, you know? It's like... Okay, okay, I guess that's fair. That's fair. If they don't have the beak mouth, what's the point, you know? <laughs> oh, man, that would be... I don't know. We do see, like, some octopus-like creatures that also do have beak-like stuff. Not in this movie. I mean, no, like, y- there was that one xenomorph Here, type I'll, I'll name off some, like, good octopuses. Oh, the one from Finding Dory. That was a good design. Uh, Oswald the octopus, he's very friendly, very round. But he also has a human-like face. Yeah, but he's cute, though. Like, they did it right. This octopus wasn't cute. Uh, Good fictional octopuses. Uh, Squidward. Yeah. I like Squidward. Although some might argue he's not, but he has an octopus. No, Squidward is canonically an octopus because there are background squids. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, uh... Uh, the the Octa Rocks from Legend of Zelda. I mm, like them. Mm, yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, let's talk but, about the movie. <laughs> yeah, we should talk about this movie. So, this movie, um, I guess this movie starts off with another one of those opening title sequences. And something that I want to point out, because I think this is a... Um, an omen of how this movie is going to turn out. They used the blandest looking font for this. This is like a very bolded Times New Roman looking font that they just, it felt like the default choice. Look, okay, they spent all the money on the CGI. They had only so many a fancy title sequence budget left. This is what we got. I suppose so, but... uh, We can only use the default fonts. (laughs) At least they didn't use Papyrus. That's true. That is true. We're Comic Sans. But this movie starts <laughs> off with uh, our Barbie analog, Lumina. Lumina is a mermaid that somehow has this pearl magic. Now, Emma. Can Which you apparently just... pearls are like incredibly abundant in this ocean. Yes, like... yes. Her pearl magic is. Uh, she makes pearls float around and she can make shimmery things and also do hair with them uh yep it's kind of undefined (laughs) it's it's kind of undefined as well as uh underwhelming like 
you would think that like this special like pearl based superpower would factor more into the story but not really it's just no something it's, that it's just uses. for uh it's just for fancy uh dress transformations and it's like useful in like one scene or like two scenes really no nah, it's yeah I think there's a reason why a lot of people don't really talk about this. But anyway, this movie starts off with Lumina using her pearl magic to prepare, like, a fake coronation for her seahorse friend, Kuda. What's your impression of Kuda? I mean, she's just kind of, like, the basic sidekick character. She does get, like, beaten up a lot in this one, though, so... abuse this poor seahorse so much. Yeah, she's like a, but she's like a small dog-sized seahorse and also she has like hair on top of her head, which is is a bit weird. But, I mean, I don't know. We never really got a lot of background with their relationship. She's just kind of there. Yeah, that feels... To like, be support. (laughs) Pretty much. But with this fake coronation that she's pulling on it, i mean it looks nice but um aside from that it doesn't really tell us much about their characters and we don't really know much about their relationship or their history but yeah once- also there's this uh weird aspect of the movie where uh sometimes she gets pearls from this like shell that's like on like the top of her tail but it's like in the crotch it's region. in the crotch so, area yeah so she like gets these crotch pearls out every once in a while that she just has an yeah. infinite amount of yeah so that's that's kind of weird that <laughs> is that is really weird I, I i don't know how to feel about the crotch pearls like i feel like you could have also like just had it as a necklace but i know that that's probably because that's hang on i'm gonna pull up the merch page on this just so i could see what they were going for with the dolls because yeah, no, you don't see that. That shell is not present on any of the dolls, so I don't know why they had to put the shell on the crotch. Just put it as a necklace. That's so weird. Well, I mean, as soon as they do this fake coronation, their Aunt Celia comes along. Now, let's talk about Celia, because of all the different characters, she's probably the most interesting character in this entire movie. Yeah, she's kind of like this like old lady. She's got this like head shawl, bit of a different. She really stands out among like the kind of pastel-y looking mermaids. But you really expect her to be like a villain, kind of yeah. like Mother Gothel type. But that doesn't end up being the case, which that was kind of nice. So I mean, I liked her. I thought she was interesting. Yeah, it is kind of nice. Yeah, because I mean, as soon as they pull her out, she she pulls the whole oh you shouldn't go out into the outside world. It's not safe. But it's initially gave off the mother knows best vibe. But like, as we see later in the movie, it's like, oh no, no, this is in your best safety. Like it's within your best interest. So it's like, yeah, we should kind of like go over the general premise of this movie. So uh, Lumira lives with Aunt Scylla in just this general like area, but she wants to go and see like, the, the castle the and time. the city because she's been kind of like isolated from mermaid society and we kind of learn out later that aunt Scylla isn't really her aunt but she's this lady that had been hired by an evil guy to like kill her when yep. she was a baby but instead of killing her she took her in 
Yeah, she's, she's basically like keeping like, her existence a secret. Yeah, she's the requisite poison maker, I guess. Yeah, she's like a potion lady. Yeah, but she warns Lumina that bad people will want to take advantage of her pearl magic. Yeah, so it really is like very much a tangled setup if like Mother Gothel wasn't evil. Yeah, which but it which made me kind of disappointed cuz you don't really see anyone take advantage of her because of that. Like all throughout the movie Lumina is very naive and like kind of like unsure of what to do cuz which is reflective of her upbringing of being like kept in this reef all her life. And I mean, they kind of go over like how she's kind of like ignorant out of the outside world. Like she doesn't really have a job or anything, but like, like I said, since there's no real like character growth for her, it just kind of is like, I don't know. She's just kind of feels like a prop in her own story. It, yes, that really does feel accurate. Like you would think that they would try to do something where like someone tries to take advantage of her pearl magic, like the villain could have done something with that, but no. Just never comes up. But <sighs> meanwhile, um at the castle, uh by the way, the kingdom of this I don't know if you remember the name of this. They call it Seagundia. Yeah, it's a... Well, I guess it's better than uh, Oceana, as far as a generic ocean kingdom names. I mean, you say that, but Oceana is an actual region of the world. Like, I I don't want to disrespect any of our Polynesian Oceanus... citizens who might be listening but yeah well well, like that's like a region it's not like a specific country though that's true that's true but yeah it is uh yeah it is kind of lame so the king and queen uh king nerissia sorry nereus not a great name and queen lorelei yeah we we don't have to care about them they're just there they're just there. They only show up for two scenes and all they, they, they're like, they, they do the same things that the parents did in Tangled where they're just like extra bland and yep. sad. Well, in Tangled, they didn't even like talk. They, were just they didn't there. even talk. Although this is more of a credit to the animators at Disney where they took that sort of speechlessness in order to like, that like little animated scene where they first released the first lantern. Like, where you see, like, the king crying. Like, that was some good, powerful animation. Like, but in here, like, you could tell that they were trying to go for that in this movie, but they just really didn't do much with it. Uh, But they're talking with our uh, special villain, uh, Caligo. Yeah, uh, who is some Freddie Mercury-looking mother effer just like <laughs> yep he's kind of yep. like a big he... ham villain but not a gay coded one really but he is yeah big ham. listener he's not gay coded but the pencil mustache the slick back hair the very square f- framed head like if he had like buck like weirdly spaced out teeth it would be a dead-on freddie mercury but He's just mostly doing that bland, like, 
oh, I must consolidate power for my son. And uh, yeah, he's got this like beta cook of a son, uh, <laughs> Fergus. Oh my he's like God, some like coconut son. head looking. So, Fergus. Yeah, he's a real short king. I love him. He, yeah, you know what? I will say one of the things that is in favor of this movie, not by a lot, because there are a lot of annoying elements of his character, but Fergus is pretty great. Like, I don't know, he's just like this little weirdo that loves plants. And he's just like, and he unironically, listener, talks, oh, well, I, I, I sort of talk like this. Gosh, Dad, I want to be a botanist. But, yeah, uh, he's the requisite, like, uh, son or, like, child of the villain that, like, isn't really villainous. But yeah, he's he, trying to get put into power. But, of course, his father will be the one uh, pulling the strings. Yep, pretty much. Um, but alongside that. He's, yeah, what kind of... Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, he. I mean, he's talking about how, like, they're going to be having this ball where Fergus is going to pick a bride and he's going to be crowned king by getting the pearl pendant. It's the requisite MacGuffin that proves that you're worthy because of your royal blood. And... Yeah, uh, it even glows when the royal blood touches it. Mm, yes, we must get the proper blood quantums inside, lest we find someone unworthy of the throne. Anywho, <laughs> uh, back in the cave, Lumina and Kudar are talking about, like, oh, how great it would be to go to the go to the palace, and they're doing like all these hairstyles and all that stuff, and we are. We establish Lumina's power to use her pearl magic to change hairstyles. And meanwhile... Yeah, along with uh, Princess and the Popper, we get another movie where people just got hair magic going on, so... Yep. Yep. And... Gotta I, sell that Barbie... Those Barbie fashion dolls, you know? You know? You gotta get the merch. Uh, but suddenly, this eel named Murray comes, which I do like the the name introduction where there he's like who where lumen is like who are you i go by many names but most call me murray now that's not a good imp <laughs> like who did you say you sounded like again he's he sounds like he's like a pete laurie impression uh, yes yes that's very eel. very accurate yeah they they try to make him just he reminded me of that one uh, Nazi who got his face melted off in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, uh, Pete Laurie uh, impressions are pretty common in film. You ever yeah. watch a Corpse Bride? That weird old woman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a. Uh... Oof, that you know, movie. It's dawned on me recently that a Corpse Bride is essentially just a Phantom of the Opera with the gender swapped think about it i don't know how to feel about this development <laughs> huh we can discuss it later but um... fair enough so murray comes and is tasking Celia 
uh, with the creation of another poison. And initially, uh, Celia refuses, but Murray threatens to tell everyone that she was the one that killed the princess all those years ago. And to which she, to which she replies... If it's poison he wants, it's poison he's gonna get. Which ends up, like, foreshadowing, like, a plot beat later on. Which, listener, the most interesting element of this movie is this old crone. She is... I don't know, you get... We don't get a lot about her story. I mean, hey, she's, she, just, she's not an old crone. She's an old hag. There's difference. That's true. That's fair. I'm using the crone in the literary sense where there's that archetype of the old crone of the the woman that lives by herself but can bestow great wisdom. And she definitely fits that archetype very well. Ugh, that'll be me in 50 years. Mm, you know, <laughs> that's hashtag girl boss goals. Old crone who lives to impart wisdom onto young maidens. <laughs> Isn't that, I mean... That's the dream. That is the dream. Uh, but because of this, uh, she has to head off to the palace, and uh, Lumina and Kuda are instructed to stay there, and they're... I don't know what the long-term plan for this is. I guess... Lumina is just gonna stay home forever in Celia's mind. Maybe once she offs, like, uh, the uncle, once she offs Caligo, maybe she'll let him come out, but this is a good showcase of, like, how, like, lame uh, Lumina's character is, because, like, if a good sign to show, like, if you have a well-written protagonist is if you take them out of the story, what changes about the world? And if Lumina stayed in the cave, theoretically, nothing bad would happen. Like, Caligo would theoretically get, like, poisoned or, like, I don't know. Yeah, we forgot to explain. The whole thing that she's planning to do is instead of poisoning the king, she's gonna poise, like, Caligo, who's the guy who, like, tried to get her to kill uh, Lumina back in the day, so... Exactly! Yeah, like... Which, you know, I was not expecting them to go there. Like, we've yeah. seen poison plots before, but at least with, like, this one, there, there was something interesting in seeing, like like the henchmen trying to turn it on their the person that they're being forced to yeah and kind of go into your point as to what her plan was i think like we kind of established earlier earlier that her whole thing's like she doesn't want to have to like give up lumina and yeah. like you know like it's gonna like be hard for her to keep on like coming up with excuses to like not bring her back yeah you know? that's true because, like, she could have, like, told, like, the king and queen, like, hey, like, you're, like... Your daughter's alive. Yeah, and your brother-in-law is, like, tried to kill your baby infant yeah. daughter. I mean, she is the one that does develop in the story. She is the one that ends up, like, changing. And, honestly, she is the one that has the most agency in the story. Like, she does 
end up being more of the protagonist than Lumina. Yeah, because Lumina's whole thing is, like, she just wants to, like, go to the city and she, like, gets a job and then she just kind of ends up at, like, the ball. Because yeah. the whole, like, inciting thing is, like, she sees that uh, Scylla had left a note essentially yeah, saying that she had been it. invited to a ball and so Lumina is like, well, if she left her invitation, she won't be able to get in, so we gotta go catch up with her. Yep. And so- that's why they decided to go to the city so yeah so they end up initiating the hero's journey they end up uh they end up heading out um they end up uh, running into some very easily overcome obstacles yeah the first they, is a tunnel that collapses yeah it's a bone tunnel yes which it's it's like that one meme that's like sydney this is bones <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with that meme. I'm gonna it's, look it's, that up. it's from like Scary Movie too. <laughs> oh, but yeah, they like go through the bone tunnel, which might be one of the first times we see uh, remains in a Barbie. Yeah, movie. I can't recall many other skeletons being present in movies. Yeah, like it's this. actually they don't say what it's a skeleton of, but I know it's an Alaskan bullworm. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it was big. Harry and pink. <laughs> yes. Oh, the Alaskan bullworms. Mm-hmm. But once they end up escaping the bone tunnel, then they end up getting to... Welcome uh, to the bone zone. Oh, God. Oh, God. You have now exited the bone zone. <sighs> Thank God. Anyway, so they, <laughs> they end up... Uh, they end up getting into this kelp forest, and suddenly a narwhal takes their invitation. Okay. Yeah, so that's get that that's their reason to not go straight to Scylla when they get to the city, because like, oh no, they don't have the invitation. Yeah. Even though they kind of forget about the Scylla thing once they get into the city. Yeah, so. it's not that big a factor. But alongside that, uh, they also end up uh meeting this uh they end up going downward to this like little coral thing where they end up meeting a stonefish named very creatively spike yeah so the whole thing with stonefishes is that they're very poisonous and he starts off being really mean and angry but uh all Lumina has to do is she ends up popping on these uh, pearls onto the spikes, and yep. Yeah, and he establishes that his spikes are super poisonous, so that might come in handy later. Perhaps, perhaps, yes. And Spike's whole thing is that, like, he's uh, he's not confident enough to speak to other people. Which he immediately gets over as soon as we get to the city, so, you know. Yeah. That's another. He honestly doesn't end up being that much of a factor in the story. Yeah, except for, like, one thing, like, at the end, you know? Yeah. Also, like, during this time, there's, like, this cute little baby squid that, like, covers Kuda's snout and is, like, going all xenomorph on her. Yeah, and Kuda just, like, does not have a good time in this movie. No, they just like to lay on the abuse on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but 
eventually they end up after doing that thing where they cut to a joke of some of the characters saying a uh, punchline so that the writers don't have to write a joke. Ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. Is being all, oh, the pro- I don't have to outrun it. I just have to outrun you. Ah, ha 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 ha. But they finally get to the city. Uh, yeah, also there's some, like, uh, strangling kelp going on. Oh, yeah. But that gets dealt with. And once again, Kuda is the only one who gets, like, <laughs> hurt. <laughs> yep, pretty much. And uh, at this time, Murray appears with his uh, his two sidekicks back at the home, and they find the letter. and Which are just two they... other eels. Yeah, just these two other eels. And they got the whole the they're all they got the whole haha they're dumb thing. Yep, (laughs) just yep. (laughs) But alongside that, uh, he ends up finding some bracelet that Celia hit earlier. Yep. But finally, once they get into the special bracelet, because it has royal crests and it means she's special. Mm, yes, because jewelry is the one way to determine if you are truly a princess. Jewelry now, just knows that target. it. Yeah, jewelry just knows when it's not touching any peasant blood. Mm, yeah. That's why diamonds are actually worthwhile and not just artificially inflated by the market. <laughs> yeah, not a bad investment at all. <laughs> so they end up getting to the city. And uh, initially, Spike is scared to talk to people, but he makes friends, and they kind of just ditch him. Yeah. But suddenly, oh, they see Celia amongst the crowd, so they go off to hide in a this little boutique, and then that's where we meet uh, Madame Ruckus. Who's like this big octopus lady who just goes around doing a bunch of stuff and just kind of like hires Lumina on the spot to be a hairdresser. Like lucky she just happens to have like hairdressing skills. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And this is where we, we initially, like this is where I initially thought they were going to get into a theme of like being yourself and not conforming because like all of the customers are like, trying to like have the same look and they're <sighs> and Lumina doesn't even try need to try to be a good hairdresser she just has the magic do it yeah and so there are these two fellow succeeds. employees named Sandrine and Cora yeah Sandrine, Sandrine is, like, is like New Jersey fish lady yeah and she's like Hey, you listen to the customer. Don't don't mess with my tip jar. And she seems all initially hostile at first, and you would think she's going to be like an antagonist, but no. The next scene, they're just friends. Yeah, like, Lumina just becomes instantly BFS with these two. It's like, they're like, oh no. Like, that's like just a part of the movie that felt like could have been developed more. Yeah. Like, yeah. This it's strange. This, this movie m- has like a lot of plot points that come up and then just like uh, feel very like underbaked, you know? 
Yeah, and because along with Lumina, we also have. Uh, I mean, I mean, along with Sardine, we also have Cora, comma the Legend of, and uh, she's essentially hmm. just a um, a love interest she's nice. for. Yeah, yeah, she's nice. She has zero personality. She's a love interest for Fargus. Yeah, he, so he's got to learn his confidence, you know. Yeah, ugh, God. Yeah, that does suck. Like, you know what I actually would have liked? I'm sorry, Cora, you seem nice, but if you... If we cut Cora as a character and made Fergus fall in love with Sandrine, would that not be a more interesting dynamic? Because she's all aggro and, like, uh Or maybe, sassy. like, make make Cora a bit of a weirdo. Like, you can yeah. have a weirdo friend. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Just give him something, because other than that, we just have, like, this bland plant boy just falling in love with this other bland person. How dare you call Fargus bland? He's a king, okay? (laughs) He's an icon. I'm sorry. Apologies (laughs) to Coconut Head. But... Yeah. Yeah, so Lumina, as you said, she doesn't have to try to be a good hairdresser because of her magic, she just is. And all the customers love her hairstyle. And because of that, everyone else is inspired to do something new. Which, yeah. Yeah, be yourself, girls, as long as yourself is uh, hot, so. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep, but as this is occurring, um, like Murray informs Caligo that uh, that the princess is actually alive, and uh, he's telling uh, Caligo's telling him to get rid of her, and he has to gather his cronies to find her, which. I was thinking, like, ooh, we're gonna see, like, a bunch of evil fishes, but no, we just see more of the... more of these two eels. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, so... But enough of that, it's time for us to meet our requisite Henbo Ken. Yeah, uh, there's a Kenbo here. His name is Delphin, and the joke is that people think it's, like, Dolphin. And he also yeah, has like a, has dolphin a dolphin sidekick, and yeah. uh, he's uh, he's pretty much pointless in this movie. He really is. Like, he in terms of like, like like this is a flavorless, no salt, no seasoning, bare boiled chicken Kenbo here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like no, no, no. It's fish. First off, like yeah. they just they just got the oldest cod there and they just boiled that up, no seasoning as you said, and it's uh mm-hmm. Yeah, he just there's no flavor to him. He's a little bit cocky, so I guess they put a little bit salt in it, but yeah, aside he's from a that, jerk this recipe Kimbo. is just Yeah. Which is the worst variety of himbos. He's slightly smug Kimbo. Yeah. Madame Ruckus initially uh, confuses him for a delivery boy, so he gets his meat cute with Lumina. Yeah, 
there's nothing to... Do we have anything else to say about Delphin? Because I feel like we can kind of, like... Yeah, I don't care. Like, yeah. throw him away. Throw him with the fishes. Yeah. Oh, also, Dolphin is, like, screeching and doing, like, the standard Dolphin click. But later on in the movie, uh, he coughs up, like, a fish. And he ends up speaking clearly. And it's like, did Delphin just not notice or care that his friend was not verbal? Yeah, these movies kind of seem to have some strange divides as to what are like the sentient creatures and what are just like the animals in this in these universes. Yeah! It's best not to think about it, really. Mm. So, especially but... since like the dolphins and the seahorse are kind of like, you know, the friend servants to the the friend servants that that are just relegated to stupid slapstick. Yeah. But... It and no one really this- seems to care about their well-being. Also, nope. we forgot to mention when they got there, they just kind of abandoned Spike because he was like went off with some other people. Yeah, and they're I mean, like, Spike eh. seems to be taking it okay. Yeah, that's true. But uh, essentially, all the girls at the salon get invited to the ball. So main plot forgotten. It's time for like a montage makeover sequence. Yeah, uh... well, before we get to the montage, we can't forget that uh, Lumina ended up helping out Fergus's hair. Oh, yeah, he's got a pompadour now. Yeah, and something I do want to know about Fergus's character, like, you do actually get to see the genuinely abusive dynamic that Caligo has towards his son. Like, he, like, ignores his interest. He constantly belittles him, and... Like, you even see him, like, smack him with his tail, and it's like, oh. I don't know. It's a bit intense, really. It is a bit intense. Like, I will say, Caligo is one of the more interesting villains we've seen out of these past movies. Like, I mean, the Snow Queen from The Pink Shoes was pretty interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of any other interesting villains. I mean, the villain in The Princess and the Pop Star is kind of funny, I but, mean, you don't yeah. like uh, Doug Walker himself, Winlock? <laughs> oh, Winlock. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking recent. I'm talking recent ones out of, like, post, uh, uh, post-Mermaid's Tale 1. Um, hmm, let me think. Uh... Honestly, I almost like the weird old lady from Mary Posa and the Fairy Princess just for how okay, much she actually, like, no, did she not is pretty good. give a fuck about the main plot. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. Anyway, let's talk about the montage sequence. Oh my um, god, this montage sequence. So they do this like, as we said, this is basically like a weird party rockers type style music. Well, actually, the Party Rocker song that sounds like Party Rock Anthem is at the end. This is like a weird, like, kind of these weird off-brand pop songs they have in these movies. At least it's not based off an actual pop song in this one, so. Oh, God, that's true. I can't imagine, like, what was a big pop song in 2014? 2014? Man, I don't know. I can't remember back, like... (laughs) I can't remember um, what was in popular music after, like, 
2012. <laughs> oh, I'm remembering. Uh, 2014 was the year of like fancy and uh, oh, God. chandelier by si- so. Oh my God! If they had the money, they easily could have licensed out fancy for one of these movies, and it would have been so, the worst. I'm so fishy. You already oh. know. Oh God, no! I'm in the ocean. From Australia to Tokyo. (laughs) I mean, LA to Tokyo still works because those are both coastal cities. Yeah. I like Australia. Fair enough. Because, like, the other mermaid film, Mermaid Tale, also had, like, a, you know, a makeover montage. Yep. It almost feels like. I like kind of padding for this movie. It really does. Like, because after they get to the city, not a lot happens until the climax. So it's like, yeah, which is disappointing. Like, I know they gotta have that. Uh, they gotta have the dress makeover montage and all that stuff. But it's like, and I will say, like, the actual animation of them, like, going through and. Uh, you know, swimming past all of these mermaids in their formation, that was decently well animated. But aside from that, like, they could have just cut out that scene and give us more of some of the other stuff. I don't know. But once they get to the palace, it's time for that good old palace intrigue. So, uh... Mm. I don't know if there's anything else to note with that. Yeah, essentially just the ball starts, and there's this whole thing where, like, uh, we establish that uh, Scylla has put the poison in uh, Caligo's cup, and then he's yes. like, I, I'm i catching your drift when she, like, gives them all the cups, but then he, like, can't decide if, like, she yes. put the poison in the king's cup and is trying to trick him, or the poison is his own cup. It's like that Princess Bride sequence. Which, listener, anything that can remind me of the Princess Bride in these movies is automatically going to become a positive factor into that. So I enjoyed that. That was a positive point in this movie's favor. But other than that, it was just like, yep, Lumina's dancing with the boring prince and it looks like they're going to hook up the seahorse and the dolphin. Okay. That's, yeah, of that's course. A choice. Of course. Also, we get established that uh, Fargus has this weird, rare plant that he's wearing on his outfit that his dad uh, rips off of him and like throws to the ground. So yeah. Also, all during this time, like uh, Caligo is like, "Why aren't you dancing?" Even though he is clearly flirting with Cora right now, and it's like, dude. Back off. Let your Yeah, you didn't do his say thing. he had to like date a royal. He just had to date someone. Cuz that yeah, was the whole exactly. thing Fargus needed to find like a girlfriend to be his queen or whatever. Yeah, and he's already on his way there. So back off, dad. Like <laughs> why are you doing this? I don't know. It's it, it's a strange choice, but Yeah. It at this point then like uh Murray does point out that, oh, the girl you're looking for is 17 years old, and her name is Lumina, and she has all these pearls. 
to which, uh, like, he, Caliga really immediately realizes, oh, that girl I was talking to earlier was definitely her. Okay, so he ends up doing this weird slow dance thing with her, and he ends up pushing her out onto the balcony, talking about how, like, mm, we must keep our secrets. We can't let anyone know. And it straight up looks like he's about to choke her. Yeah, he, like, goes to throw with his hands. Like, he's just gonna, like, choke her out, like, right outside balcony. I guess, luckily, though... uh, But then Kuda comes up in, to which he responds, No witnesses. (laughs) This guy is, like, the best, honestly. Like, he's a fun one. (laughs) He's certainly the most competent villain we've seen in a very long time. Well... Competent is debatable since <laughs> that's okay. Okay, at least the most malicious in terms of like, yeah, he did try to kill a baby, <laughs> tried to kill a baby, is abusive to his son, is doesn't seem to have any qualms about killing an old woman as well. So, yeah, yeah, but anyway, Kuda and Lumina they're thrown into the dungeon, and the and the eels are playing cards. Oh, but not before the eels are like, oh, when we have our way with her, she will prove to be quite deadly. Mm. And it's just... Weird? Yeah. Yeah, so they get thrown in the dungeon, and then, but luckily she still has her crotch beads, so she's able to make, like, a magic uh, anal bead strand that she then uses to... Uh, no, 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 abort. <laughs> that she I, then I'm uses vetoing, to... Uh, I'm vetoing this. No. <laughs> that, she, that she then uses to uh, uh, pick up the keys. <laughs> so she gets the key. Yeah, she gets the keys. Uh, I can't believe you've done this. Um, So, but alongside that, uh, something I do want to note, while they're getting the keys, they're playing cards, and uh, I don't know what the card game is where it's like, hit me, I think it's blackjack, I don't care, and the eels are like, hit me, and it's like, I'm not gonna hit you. I don't know, that was kind of funny. But they escape and they they tie them up with the pearls and now they're they're being chased by the guards throughout the palace and yeah all the while uh, people are worried about Lumina wondering where she is and eventually they get back to the ballroom and just in time for uh, when they're doing this. Uh, Caligo's about to drink his wine and he's very scared because he's very, very certain that it is poison. So he accidentally knocks out the poison from the king's chalice in order to give it to him. Yeah, and we also, we have a moment like before then where like uh, Scylla was having second thoughts about uh, poisoning Caligo and she tried to like take the cup away from him before like the rest of the people got there. Yeah, you know, which makes me wonder, like, I mean, I understand why she would have, like, a second thoughts about 
some things, like, but I don't know why that would have to factor into poisoning Caligo. Like, you probably could have just easily just told told the king and queen. Well, she probably didn't want to, like, out herself as, like, the poisoner, so... That's true. Again, she is definitely the most interesting character in this movie, and they just don't do enough with her. Yeah. But, yeah, after Caligo knocks out the poison, the king's about to drink it, and then they talk about how if they poison the king then Fergus would be next in line at the throne. Like, no word on, like, how the queen factors into this. I don't know how uh, Caliga is planning on addressing that, but... Well, I mean, I guess they, like, need to have a spouse in order to, like, take the throne, so... I guess that's how it goes, because, like, the whole thing with this party is Fergus is getting a special, like pearl pendant or whatever that kind of like marks him as the next in line yeah that's fair that's fair but yeah and and at some point uh lumina figures out that it's poisoned like does Scylla tell her or something like i kind of forgot honestly i don't yeah like but honestly who cares she knocks the cup out of the king's hand and then uh, Caliga is like, oh no, she tried to attack the king. But then uh, Scylla finally speaks up and she's like, no, the cup was poisoned and I poisoned it. And at that and, point, uh, Caligo, uh pushes her and she ends up being pricked by one of Spike's spikes, which we didn't mention. Caligo accidentally knocked off one of the pearls that was plugging it earlier. And because of that, it actually looks like we're gonna have a death scene in one of these movies. Yeah, so she gets uh, poisoned by Spike's uh, Spike, and um, she's kind of like laying over her, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Lumina, that I didn't tell you where you're yeah. from, and that I kept you, and I'm so sorry. And, and Lumina doesn't seem to care too much hearing this. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I kind of wish their, like, relationship had been, like, kind of established, like, stronger. Yeah, Because that seems like that, like, wants to be, like, the core emotional thing of this movie. But, like, they just just needed, like, another scene together. Just them, like, talking or something, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Like, that could have been a scene they had instead of the, uh, makeover montage, you know? There's something to give more of, like an actual, like, emotional stakes to this movie. Because, I don't know, this movie just feels kind of, like, emotionally vacant to me. Like, they're supposed it to be, like, really these... does. Like, like, this is supposed to be, like, the big, like, emotional dramatic scene, but it's, like, we don't really, like, know much about the relationship between these characters. I assume, like, she's essentially, like, her mother. She raised her, but, like, we don't get a scene of just them, like, establishing yeah. that they care about each other, you know? And yeah, it's, like... Yeah. I agree. Just kind of a shame. It is really a shame. Because, like, I mean, blessed to the... The vocal performances were good here. Like, the animation was good. Just from a writing standpoint, they just didn't really do a whole lot to establish that. And I think... I don't know. I think a big common theme with a lot of these movies is that, like, from a technical standpoint, like, these movies... Like... 
these movies are basically as good as the screenplay that they're working with. And I feel like when you have a script that is somewhat underdeveloped and bland, the movie ends up feeling bland. But if you can get an, an, a writer in there that, like, is able to do something interesting with the material, that's when you get one of the better movies. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But because of that, oh, it turns out the one cure to this sp- stonefish venom is... It just, just happens to be flower. that weird flower that uh, Fargus had. What a yeah. coincidence. What a coincidence indeed. And because of that, this gives Fergus to tell off his dad and suddenly like all of Luminous friends are like backing her up and are like fighting off the guards of the palace which is like okay y'all you're committing treason right now like yeah because like a Caligo like you just met yeah well like Caligo tries to stop her from like curing Scylla there's like a fight sequence and then she uses her pearl magic to trap him and she is able to heal Scylla with a flower, so. Yay. And because of that, Scylla apologizes to the king and queen, and Luminez named the rightful ruler of And she gets, the like, the pearl pendant, and it gives her a magical dress transformation sequence. Just yep. like in every Barbie movie. Any- not just any transformation sequence also it causes all the pearls on her to become rainbow pearls yep and also it turns out that her mom had also pearl magic so that's how like she got it so yep again really would have been interesting if they like had that pearl magic factor into the story somehow but just don't really use anything with that you know like this movie just like a lot of the individual plot threads just did not really come together that well with this and it's like yep by the end of the movie it's like well i guess she gets to be the princess now so i guess she got what she wanted or did she i I guess we never get to know what she wants we don't know her except for just to like get out of the house (laughs) like (laughs) yeah like and she already got that and i'm sure i guess she'll be a good uh leader of a sovereign nation yeah sure i mean we don't see anything that i mean she's nice to people yeah she's theoretically that's all you need uh she's a yeah. What are what are three personality traits of a uh, Lumina? Hair. <laughs> yeah. She does hair. Uh-huh. She's kind of ignorant of the outside world and uh <laughs> I, Yeah, perfect monarch material right I, there. Yes, yeah, she's nice, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, the characters like, people like to assume that most of these Barbie movies, like, oh, there's no character to these Barbie characters. You don't do anything interesting with them. But it's like, no, they we've I'm done not. things in the past. Like, we've seen them truly, like, have these sort of dynamic characters. So, yeah, I don't like, know. Like, honestly, this might be one of, like, the blandest Barbie protagonists. Because, like, even yeah. with, like, the worst 
like the movies that were less good like usually they at least try to give barbie some kind of arc even if it's like not like well executed yeah but here it's like yeah you know barbie just seems like by far the least interesting part of her own story you know which is a shame and it is interesting that we're this feels like the first time where we can actually say about say that about one of these movies yeah. I don't know. I can't really think of any other examples where Barbie was this bland in her own story. Because hmm. say what you will about, say, like, Alina from Fairytopia. Like, she was kind of... But at least she has, like, arcs in her movies, even yeah, though she, exactly. like, goes through the same one, like, a couple times, but, like... Yeah, but it, it's still an arc, and in this one, we just don't see that. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is maybe, like... I might just not remember it, but I'm thinking of, like, 12 Dancing Princesses just because there were, like, so many Barbies in that one that it was, Yeah, like, that's fair. Barbie herself might have Most had, of not that was about of an them individual story, gaining you know? the approval of their father, though. Yeah, but with this movie, it's like they didn't really have an excuse for Barbie to be the way she is. It's like... They really didn't. They yeah. really didn't. But with that said... Yeah, I guess, I mean, that is basically the movie. Like, they do their generic version of Party Rocker's anthem. Yeah. yeah. Party fish are in the house tonight. I mean, in the ocean tonight. Everybody just, just in a good time. Yeah. And we gonna let you. Yeah. Anyway, okay, I'm <laughs> stopping this right now. So, that's Every the movie. Every day I'm swimming. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Weird Al, move aside. There are new kings of satire in town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the movie. As you could probably pick up, listener, this is definitely one of the more bland specimens of this. Really, really movies. just sets the mood for this quarantine time we're living in. <laughs> oh, I feel like that's a very cynical way of looking at that, <laughs> I but okay. I mean... I don't know. Like, I it feel is... like... I mean, if there's any consolation, I don't want to be too hard on the writers here, uh, but, I mean, I get the impression that there's a reason why this is the last Barbie movie that they worked on, because they didn't seem to very much enjoy working on the material, because their main movies were Princess Charm School and princess and the pop star yeah both that were uh not that good so yes and this movie was not really that good so <laughs> yeah that's definitely i would say it's better than princess and the pop star in charm school i guess but it's i i think it's only better in the fact that both of those movies were far less offensive in terms of just did you just call Princess Charm School not offensive? No, no, I'm saying that this movie, uh, yeah, Pearl definitely. Princess, is far less... It's only better than Princess Charm School in that this movie doesn't do anything to offend me or annoy me. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe I just like mermaid aesthetics, so it's like, okay. Yeah, the aesthetics are definitely better as well. Yeah. Yeah, they've definitely improved in that area. But, uh, yeah, 
so what do you give this movie, Emma? Uh, I give it uh, three anal beads out of five. No! No! <laughs> How dare you! How dare you! <laughs> I'm, mm, I'm not going to dignify a rating because of what you just said. Okay. So thank you for listening to The Pink Owl, everyone. Um, <laughs> the next movie that we're going to be watching is Barbie and the Secret Door, which I'm interested because... A lot of people apparently like this one. I don't yeah, know. It's kind of got a different premise with it. Yeah. And that it also has a mermaid in it, so... It has a mermaid and a fairy and a princess. We're just hitting all the bases on this one, so... Yeah. It's like... We'll to see. Outdoing all the other movies, so... Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh... Yeah. If you want to be the first to be able to listen to this you can follow us on our twitter at pink Pod. and if you enjoy the work we do emma how can people support you and what you do uh for the moment i work for the shield at usi still despite the quarantine yeah right. in the we future who knows where i'll be working but uh well, I'm sure wherever you go on, you'll be doing amazing things because you're a great co-host, you're a great writer, and you have a lot of good insights. Aww. By Gabity, I appreciate you. Aw, thanks, Henry. You're welcome. Uh, but as for me, listener, uh, you can follow the work I done do on the internet by uh, following me on my Twitter, at uh, Katherine Henry. Uh, you can follow the Tumblr, which compiles all of the work that I do in one place, uh, henrycathman.tumblr.com, as well as my Patreon, patreon.com slash henrycathman. Help me pay the bills. Check a dollar a month. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, we could all but- use some help in this time. Yes, yes, that's true. But If you are listening to this on the day of release on June 19th, 2020, uh, tomorrow evening on Saturday, June 20th at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I am going to be performing with the World's Elsewhere Theater Company in their production of William Shakespeare's A Midsummer's Night's Dream. The charity stream will be promoting different fundraisers and resources for activism for Black Lives Matter and police reform and police abolition and the like. But in addition to that... Um, It'll be a nice, just fun evening of singing, poetry, theater, and all that sort of stuff. So if you're interested in tuning in and supporting us, uh, feel free to visit the website worlds-elsewhere.com or tune into the YouTube channel for Kyle Calgren. So this will be all in the description. But alongside that, uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we hope you're all doing okay uh but i guess it's time for us to head back up to the surface for air emma oh thank god i've been dying down here oh no (laughs) well i don't know if we have any other if there are any other thoughts you want to leave us off with don't pollute the ocean it's a good one you know that feels like a very very good idea uh side note that seems like something that would have been that would have popped up in some of these movies. Like, I, I mean, mean Mermaidia kind of. I mean, 
Mermaid Tale kind of had it, but it was more like a magic lady. Yeah, uh, and it's like, yeah, I don't know. You'd think that after, like, they clearly wanted to do that type of stuff in, like, Barbie Thumpelina, and I don't know, this feels like a territory that, like, Mattel could have easily tapped into, although I suppose that does kind of show how much they care about environment stuff, but, uh, <laughs> and I think it's time for us to head on out. Yeah. I think... Because this movie left such little of a presence, I think we need to make our exit equally bland. I agree. All right. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.